Welcome to More Than Movies. I'm Ivana. And I'm Jay. Today we discover each other's favorite kids movies. We also try to stump each other and talk about a dog named Buck. It's time for a top three turf war. Now that warmer weather has sprung upon us. Do you get it, Jay? Do you get oh, it? I get it. Get I it. get it. It's uh, it's pretty good. <laughs> pretty good. <laughs> or not so much, but I enjoyed it anyway. Spring has sprung. <laughs> we decided that it's time to get nostalgic a little bit. And so we are going to compile the ultimate list of the top three kids movies that grown-ups love too. What was your criteria for this top three? We didn't talk about it before we went in, but like, obviously these are my favorites, so, and I'm an adult, and I love these movies, but what were your criteria for kids? Well, they just had to be a kid's movie, like a, a movie that is marketed towards children. I watched Police Academy movies when I was a kid. And they were like my big thing. And well, I shouldn't say I watched Police Academy movies. I watched one Police Academy movie, Police Academy 3, every day, all the time. But that's not a kid's movie. That was just a movie I watched when I was a kid. Totally. So I'm thinking movies marketed towards kids that actually adults like a lot of the times as well. All right. So I went a different way. Because when I hear kids' movies, I think of movies that are, uh, I can leave the room and I'm not worried about what the content will be. So I have three G-rated movies, and this is Canada's G, so it might be PG in the States, but Canada's G-rated movies. I wonder if all of mine are what their rating is. Well, I can, I'll tell you as we go. So why don't you, why don't you kick us off with your number three Kids movie. My number three kids movie is a classic from the 90s, Home Alone. Home Alone. Okay. Yeah, absolutely. This is a, uh, it is PG, but it's definitely marketed to kids. So that totally fits the criteria of uh, what you were going for. I'm not surprised it's rated PG because I guess it has a little bit of violence going in. Kind of cartoon-esque violence, but this is a classic Christmas movie and also a classic children's movie. And I think kids watch it even to this day, even though this movie is like, actually, it's 30 years old. It was made in 1990. I'm looking at the IMDb page. This is a 30-year-old film, and I think people are still watching it. Yeah, I love Home Alone. It is definitely one that we go back to every single Christmas. It's got all the feels as well. It really, really pulls at your heartstrings at the end. And that John Williams score is gorgeous. Catherine O'Hara is a great mom. She's the perfect, like, anyone else, I don't know that they could have played such a sympathetic character who forgets her child and just goes. And John Hughes called in a favor for John Candy. He did that movie for free. Really? Yeah, it was like 19 hours of shooting. He did it all for free. Catherine O'Hara and he used to be on SCTV together. So they just kind of fell back into that improvisation and that love for each other. I think I've told the story on this podcast before that after we saw it, Adam and I woke up early the next morning to burglar proof our house and we iced down our driveway. (laughs) 
Oh, God. You iced it? Oh. And sadly, that was the Christmas that uh, my mom spent with a broken wrist from falling. Oh, no. And that's why this movie is rated PG, folks. That's right. (laughs) Home Alone's a great choice. What about you? What's your number three? All right. So my number three G-rated kids movie is High School Musical. This is a movie that uh, I know for a fact that adults love because it made it to number three and it's got a real, real cult following. The music in it is awesome. I think this movie is a miracle because it's a TV movie. And for it to spawn a second sequel that saw about 15 million people tuning in and then spawn a theatrical release... It's a real interesting story, High School Musical, as as it is. It's definitely for kids of all ages. I love the tunes, and I go back to it. I didn't discover this movie until I was, like, 28, and it's still, like, one of my favorites. There was, like, this age where Disney was doing these set-in-high-school-aimed-at-tween content, whether it was television or movies, And they only got it right for so long because what High School Musical and even Stevens and the Lizzie McGuire show had in common was that they were like almost old enough to be PG, but still very much G-rated. After that, they went all in on the G-rated and that took a lot of that magic out. Yeah, I would. uh, I'd agree with that. Now the programming's a lot I don't know what they program for kids anymore, like young kids. I mean, you have Disney Plus. How do you not know? Well, I, I mean, I, I don't watch. The things I watch on Disney Plus are all PG or over. Although I did watch their like Stronger Together version of all of the people coming together to sing the songs. So they had the high school musical crew come on to sing We Are All In This Together. But they also had the, the high school musical cast of the TV series. And that was like, that was kind of cool and special for them all to be singing We Are, We're All In This Together. That is kind of cool. All right. What is your number two? My number two is a classic. Again, I'm not sure what the rating is, but I'm pretty sure this is a kid's movie. It's also super old. And I think one that kids still watch to this day, mostly because probably their parents watched it when they were kids. So they're introducing the next generation to it. And that is... The Princess Bride. Oh, fantastic. Yeah, you're right. It is PG, but it is about like a, a, a grandfather reading a story to a sick child. It is totally a kid's movie that, I mean, that movie, it blew people away how, how well it did. They didn't expect that. It's one of those movies that's infinitely quotable and just cheesy enough to be really heartfelt And I think that people really like cling to that type of entertainment. And that's what kind of made this a cult movie in addition to a kid's movie. Yeah, definitely. It's it it was cult, but it was also so successful. And people always go back to it as one of their favorite movies of all time. I know it's on my top 100 list. I will say this before we end. All of my three are G rated. But at the end, I am going to share what my PG rated film list would look like. I did do both. (laughs) Okay, interesting. Uh, My number two is another, it's another recent that I go back to a lot. I've watched this with my niece. I've told, I've sang the songs 
at the top of my lungs with my niece, and that is Tangled. I love Tangled. Tangled is a great movie. You know, when people talk about Frozen being the new renaissance of Disney, I get upset a little bit because Tangled is way better than Frozen, and it's the first movie that Disney brought back after going the Pixar route for so long, and then they're like, well... We have to kind of energize our animation studios. And Tangled came along, and Tangled is bonkers good. Tangled is bonkers good. I remember, like, but it's old. I mean, it's 10, 10 years old now. Absolutely. It's, I think, 2008. 2010, according to IMDb. Oh, my gosh. See, I'm, I'm wrong. I... That, oh, <laughs> I hate it when I'm wrong about years. But it's it's a, it's a really good movie. It is everything you would want from a Disney animated princess flick. And it has been updated to the 2000s. Whereas I think before that, probably the last one they would have made would have been the 90s. And when you look back to the 90s renaissance of Disney and you have characters like the genie, characters like Timon and Pumbaa in Tangled, you have Flynn Rider, who is played by the the amazingly charismatic Zachary Levy, and he's so funny. And I think that movie doesn't work without their dynamic. Like Mandy Moore is fantastic as Rapunzel, but Flynn Rider is hilarious. He is. He is so. I had no idea that Flynn Rider was Zachary Levy. Oh, that's brilliant. I mean, you have Chuck as as Seth. As like the Errol Flynn character, and I, I just can't get enough of it. I, I may watch it after we, after we watch this. But it's definitely a go-to when my niece is asked for stupid stuff. I'm like, no, no, no. But we can watch Tangled. <laughs> <laughs> I don't care that you're three. We're gonna watch Tangled. <laughs> well, you don't want to like want to shoot your own brains out watching really shitty children's content so i'm all for this watch the stuff that also is palatable to the grown-ups becky's cousins we were all together and the nieces and nephews were together and one of becky's cousins loves this story is that my three-year-old niece verity wanted to watch baby boss and i knew the reviews of baby boss and i said nah you're not watching baby boss and she started like having a tantrum and i'm like what why are you so upset she's like i want to i want baby boss i'm like no you can watch moana <laughs> Much better movie. Yeah. Yep. So we Good put on Moana. What is your number one story? Well, number one movie, not story, movie. My number one children's movie that adults can like is Big Hero 6. Oh my gosh. I love that that's there. I did not watch as a child and I loved it and it made me cry in the movie theaters. And I just think it's one of the best. Disney movies, like animated movies in a while, and Bayamax is so sweet, and the grief with the brother and all the emotions, it's just, it's a beautiful, beautiful film. So, I saw this movie with Ivana, and her range of emotions in the theater were going from, like, hysterical laughing to just unbelievable sadness. It was, like, oh, all the over bawling. the spectrum. It was so embarrassing. It was so no, embarrassing. It was so entertaining. <laughs> Leaving the movie theater all red and splotchy because I'd been crying so much. There were other movies that I was considering, such as Up, which has one of the best and most heartfelt sort of beginnings of a Pixar slash Disney slash children's film that I've seen in 
ever. But ultimately, Big Hero 6, I think, is better because you have sadness, beginning, middle, and end in between are true moments of levity, and you really go on an emotional roller coaster. I think that as children's entertainment, there's a lot to teach children in this film, and you can learn a lot. Agree. Completely agree. How do you move forward after a tragedy? Which happens to everybody. Absolutely. I just think it's a pretty perfect movie, one that adults and kids can both enjoy together. I love that all of your movies are rated PG and all of my movies are rated G, (laughs) so you get a good spectrum. My number one will come as no surprise if you've been a listener of this podcast or you know me at all. Uh, My number one is 1991's animated feature film, Beauty and the Beast. Oh, great, great movie. I'm so happy it's on your list. Beauty and the Beast to me is one of the greatest films in cinema. It's one of the first movies that were nominated for Best Picture. A lot of people will say because Beauty and the Beast was animated, they created the animated category for the Academy Awards. But Beauty and the Beast is in itself a beautiful, beautiful, small story about a woman searching for adventure and finding it in a very unlikely place. What a lovely way to describe the movie. It Well, that is really what it comes down to. I mean, you also have one of the worst villains who's basically just the high school bully who everybody loves. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> everybody in this town loves because he's handsome, but really he's just the high school bully. But he has so much power and influence over this town that it becomes very relatable very quickly how these these hordes of people rally around uh, toxic personality. And you have the Beast, who in itself is very toxic. There are problems with the Beauty and the Beast storyline. The, the Nightingale Syndrome, the uh, Stockholm Syndrome, if you were. Uh, there's definitely problematic issues in the film. But I still think that if you're a kid, if you are an adult, it is a perfect sit down and watch. One of my favorite times, but not my favorite times, was when I was sitting with my niece, Verity. She was, I think she was five at this point, maybe four or five. And she said, I want to watch Beauty and the Beast, uh, Uncle Jay. And I went and I put on Beauty and the Beast, my version, the 1991 version, the best version. And she said, this is not it. And I was like, what What are you talking about, blaspheming child? And it's like, no, the, the, no, the, the people won. And I'm like, oh, my God, you want to watch the live action? How dare you? And I put it on because I'm sometimes a good uncle. But I was disappointed in a four-year-old. I guess that's the problem, though, right? Like, I kind of wish that they would just redo the original beauty and the beast just like it probably looks so old and weird to her do you know what i mean in her eyes Uh, it might but i find the animation styles just are they stay relevant because there's no other the medium is so different than live action like live action the live action version has all this extra stuff that doesn't need to be told and a backstory of how the mother died in the plague and it's got like we really gotta humanize up the beast. It's like, no nah, man, you really don't like there's a reason that first one was nominated for Best Picture. 
it was amazing. And what I find, especially during quarantine, I'm going back and watching a lot of movies from the 30s, 40s, and 50s. They hold up and they're relevant. And I, I wish people could just appreciate the original things. I see, though, how it can be difficult for a four-year-old. You know what I mean? Like, sometimes you watch those older, even animations, and they just feel so different or not quite right compared to everything else that you see. And then it's hard not to be distracted by that. Okay, so we have we have said all of our top three. So we have to narrow it down. I really like The Princess Bride being on the list. So I, I would vote to keep The Princess Bride because out of all the movies, adults really like The Princess Bride. Okay, I like that. And I, I'm really happy with having Beauty and the Beast still in the number one spot because that's a fantastic movie. And again, I think adults like that. All right, then I will, I will move for Big Hero 6 to be at third. Because, you know why? Because people, more people need to see it. Yeah. Okay, I'm down. I think we have a list. Yeah, we got a great list. Let's count them down. Number three, Big Hero 6. Number two, Princess Bride. And the number one movie that kids love and adults do too, Beauty and the Beast. So, Jay, you mentioned you had a PG list. What is it? Okay, so number three... Is a, is a recent, and it's Spider-Man Into the Spider-Verse. Oh, my God. That was on my short list. I'm so happy it's yeah, there. Like, that would be 100%. But the murder of Peter Parker is pretty, I guess, PG-worthy. So I kept it off the list. It's a great. It's the best Spider-Man I've ever seen. Period. Full stop. Done. It's over. It's the best Spider-Man movie. It's the best Spider-Man movie. Number two. The Sandlot at PG. The Sandlot has some tobacco use that people find like a little offensive because there's throwing up and vomit. And it's also got a little bit of swearing, but it is amazing. And it is a summer movie that I watch every single year. I might not show it to my like six-year-old niece yet, but I definitely will show it to my 10-year-old nephew. And I, I just love that movie so much. I so, so, so much. And then number one is still Beauty and the Beast. I love it. I love it. Did you have anything else on your short list you wanted to plug? Toy Story and Spider-Man Into the Spider-Verse. Those were the two I wanted to mention. I had Anne of Green Gables from 1985. I don't know if I've actually ever seen that. It's it's a lovely Canadian production. And I I don't know yeah, why I was just going like to say, so Anne much. of Green Gables is very Canadian, right? Like it's yes. a big Canadian thing. Yes. I do appreciate that she's a redhead. Hello. <laughs> <laughs> All right, Ivana. It is, and I will, and I and I say this for me, I don't know what day it is for you, but for me it is day 52 in self-isolation as we're recording this. How are you staying healthy? How are you staying active? What are you doing? Give me some tips. Cause I could very easily spend an entire week just laying on the couch. Yeah, me too. But I luckily I have a dog, so that can never oh, happen. I dog. always have to take her out. Can I just say something before we get into the the cool exercises we've learned? I hate the term the new normal. I, I, I hear it every day and I hate it because it it normalizes what we're going through and what we're going through is not normal. Stop trying to say it is. It's not. 
it is stressful being in it, but stop trying to like bring it back to, well, it's the new normal. Stop it. Nothing about this is normal. Don't try to say it is. Yeah, I guess it's, I think people say it because they must have this fear like things are never going to really go back to how it was. But I don't think that we're at a point where this is the new normal. It's just we might have a different normal coming up in the future that we never thought of until today. Right. But that is not sitting at home and not being able to see my parents type thing. Like that is, this is not normal. What are you doing to release that in form of exercise besides the dog walking? I am doing the baby shark example from uh, Nick Jonas, who went on Fallon and he said he puts on the baby shark song. And anytime the lyric changes from baby shark to mama shark to daddy shark, etc., he does a burpee. And so we've done this a bunch. It is... It's kind of intense. That would be really fun. I hadn't heard this, but that's a great, great suggestion. Really gets your um, heart I've been out. doing a ton of video working out. So Amazon Prime yoga, YouTube yoga, YouTube weight working out video thingies. Um, we have a rowing machine as well. I have not been very much running outside, but... I probably could start that. But more I'm just focusing on like weights, exercise videos, at least like a half hour a day. At minimum, I'll do a 100 squats every day too. Uh, we have an exercise bike as well. So like where you have a rowing machine and you can you can row and put something on TV or whatever. We have mm -hmm. an exercise bike in front of the TV that we'll, we'll do a couple uh, kilometers or, or however long... Uh, to get to our certain track or goal. Um, I just like to put on a half an hour sitcom and like, just try to go. <laughs> yeah. 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 It just keeps things moving, you know? And I thought I'd do a lot more exercise in my new joggers. Not so much. I guess they're too hot. So you're probably more using I'm shorts. I'm using shorts. You know, the thing is, but how'd they go? How are your my joggers? joggers I are lovely. We I'm wearing them right now because the, the temperature has dipped. However, when we went into double digits, I, I moved very quickly to my shorts, which are which are dockers. So I guess they're a little bit more fancy shorts. Um, question for you. What do you prefer to work in at home now? Is it jeans or joggers if it's a pants kind of day? If it's a pants kind of day, honestly, I am in my joggers. Yes, we did it. We converted you. I do you. love <laughs> these joggers. Uh, the thing I was concerned most about would be like the tapered ankle, but it's got a zipper, so it doesn't have to be tapered. Nice. Okay. They're fantastic. <laughs> I'm so happy. <laughs> now we just need to get Becky a pair of tights. Oh, yeah. That's, that is a whole other story. <laughs> Welcome in. It's time for Him Possible and Her Possible Trivia. Let's meet our contestants. I'm very excited for this next round of trivia. So I'm going to quickly remind everybody what the rules are. Jay and I ask each other trivia questions. You listening to the podcast are welcome to play along on your end. We each have 45 seconds in which to answer these five trivia questions. 
If you do not know the answer, you can pass. If you get it wrong and there's still time on the clock, then we will ask it again and we'll keep asking until time runs out or you get the question right. And the buzzer starts and the time starts after we read our first question. Jay, are you ready? I'm ready and I want to go I want to quiz you first. All right. You're the reigning champ of this. And I I have some five questions. I think you'll get at least two of them right. I think I've made it harder than I normally do. Okay, I'm excited. All right, here we go. Who wrote The Call of the Wild? Jack London. What's in an old-fashioned? Bourbon. An orange twist thingy. Uh, usually... Oh, shit, what are the other alcohols in it? It's not sweet vermouth because that's a Manhattan. Pass. I'll come back to it. What brand slogan is think different? Apple. Who is the male lead in Gone with the Wind? Oh, fuck. Clark Gable? Which (laughs) founding father had a house that over 1,000 human bones were discovered at? Ah... Ah, George Washington was going to be my answer. (laughs) Okay, so you got three out of the five uh, because you you didn't pass early enough on what's in an old fashioned. So uh, I'm going to give you bourbon. Whiskey is it can be any whiskey. Uh, So bourbon's fine. There is a twist, an orange peel twist Uh, garnish. There are sugar and bitters and that's it. Mm. Uh, Jack London certainly did write uh, the call of the wild. Think different is apple. Clark Gable is gone with the wind and Benjamin Franklin was found with a house that had over 1000 human bones working up to 10 skeletons. Now, obviously this doesn't mean that like this founding father was a mass murderer. They believe it was for anatomy that he was, he was doing a teaching school and it it was for anatomy. All right. This is kind of exciting. That was a good, those are good questions. I was thoroughly like interested and excited by this. All right. <laughs> now is your first question multiple choice? It is. Not. All right. I am ready to hit the timer when you are. Who is the writer of the following TV series and or movies? Dispatches from Elsewhere, Sex Tape, Five Year Engagement, and or The Muppets. Jason Siegel. What is the familial relationship of the following two characters from the Shakespeare play Twelfth Night? Viola and Sebastian. Brother and sister. More specific. Siblings. Yes, but more specific. Uh, Pass. Um... How many years comprise a century? A hundred. What is the tallest mammal in the world? Tallest. Giraffe. What is the first country in the world to legalize? Don't finish that sentence. Okay, I'm going to ask it to you anyway. I do. I have to ask it to you because if you get it right, it's going to count. What is the first country in the world to legalize gay marriage? Canada? 
That's correct. It is Canada. That took me forever because I was like going through the European countries and I'm like, no, I don't think they're that. I think they're more conservative than we are. And then it obviously wasn't the States. So <laughs> it was. Uh, <laughs> yeah. And I know it wasn't like Australia. I actually went down the list in my brain. I'm like, oh, I must be Canada. All right. So, OK, what's the more specific part? Uh, twins. Oh, they are twins. I'm sorry. OK, uh, keep twins, going. Yeah. All right. Um. So, yes, you are right. The writer of Five-Year Engagement, Sex Tape, Muppets, Dispatches from Elsewhere is Jason Siegel. Um, there are 100 years in a century. And the tallest mammal in the world is a giraffe. So I would give you a half point, I believe, for siblings. So 3.5. And... Yeah, yeah. So I won. You won. And technically, you would have gotten 4.5. I, I would never have got to Canada that quickly. It, it, like, we were... That's fair. We were running that's out fair. of time. I never would have got to Canada that quickly. And honestly, <laughs> I just feel good about that 0.5 because I, I, you know, when you said the question, I was like, I know that Viola and Sebastian are brother and sister. I don't know more than that. And I was like, <laughs> what are they? What are, Oh, of course they're twins. Of course they're twins. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Uh, so, I mean, I'm going to have to keep you on your toes for the next quarantine games. It's Film Freaks. Chatter for the film fan and all of us. We switched things up big time for this episode. I watched the 2020 film Call of the Wild, and Ivana read the novella from 1903 by Jack London. Right. So, we figured as we experimented with new games, we figured that we'd also experiment with this tried and true segment of the podcast. Maybe we'll even be able to recommend which medium we think is best based on our conversation. I think that'd be really cool. All right, Jay, let's tell everybody the overall plot, which hopefully we both can agree on. <laughs> Call of the Wild follows a huge St. Bernard sheepdog mix. Buck starts his life in sunny California, a prized pet who has a pretty awesome life. It doesn't take long before he's stolen from his beloved owner and sold off to a cruel man who beats him into submission. After some horrific treatment, Buck finds himself in the northern North America region like Canada, U.S., where he becomes part of a dog sled team that is used by men who have been lured by the gold rush while in the northern climate buck has really shitty owners and really good ones he learns that he's an alpha dog and the head of the pack and he begins to hear the call of the wild eventually he meets a good man and his true owner jack thornton and then he becomes torn between the lure of the wilderness and his love for thornton but ultimately he chooses jack that is until jack is killed by natives and so Free from man, Buck heads off into the wilderness where he becomes the alpha in a pack of wolves. Okay, your natives. What are you, who are your natives in the book? They're like natives, like what in 1903 they probably would have called Indians, but we today call natives. Okay, in the film, it is not a native. It is a rich man who is jealous and envious and believes that Jack has found gold, who chases him up there and shoots him. What? Really? They changed They changed that? What? I, I'm, I'm guessing because, you know, Native Americans or Native uh, Aboriginals had 
done that today in 2020, it may have appeared insensitive. Yeah, I mean, there were some uh, words in the book that I was like, holy shit, am I allowed to read these things? <laughs> like, this is so racist. Oh, my God. Well, and and there is not a lot of racism, obviously, in this family-friendly thing. It's more about, like, the cruelty to Buck. And wait, so there... So you still have all this, like, cruelty to Buck in the movie? Certainly do. Absolutely. And yet it's a family film? Like, the movie is a family film? Like, it's a kid's movie? So it's off screen. Like, the the most vicious it gets is when Buck is threatened by the 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 leader of the pack on the on the dog sled team and because the dog is starting to see that buck is winning over all of the other animals on the on the lead and that fight between those two dogs which is entirely cgi is pretty vicious it's like whoa shit this is vicious. Yeah, it happens in the book too and it is the dog that was like the leader of the dog sled hates Buck from the moment Buck joins the team. Is that true in the movie too? Absolutely. And in the in the film, the beating of Buck from the owners is mostly shown off screen. Yeah, I mean a lot of a lot of the beatings from Buck and the owners is either in the beginning when they're transporting him or he has these particular owners towards the end where they're just so inexperienced and the only way they can get their dogs to keep going is by beating them constantly. Yes, and that's in the film. And that owner is the person who kills, in the film, John Thornton, not Jack Thornton. Oh, fast. Why? I don't know. I don't know why they changed his name. But but Hal is the one who goes and shoots Harrison Ford. And Buck makes the decision to run with the wolves. So Jack Thornton is, or John Thornton is, is Harrison Ford. That was a correct. Yeah. Cause that's what I kind of thought. Great assumption. Okay. And John Thornton, I'm not sure when he pops up in the book, but in the film, he shows up around 40 minutes in when Buck is delivering mail with uh Peral or Peralt Peralt. I'm, I'm, I can't remember how to pronounce it, but it's French. And Buck stops the sled in order for John to get a letter onto the sled. Oh, interesting. So he has all these little cameos where he, you can see he really likes Buck and Buck really likes him. And then finally Harrison Ford basically beats up the rich guy or gets beat up by the rich guy in a bar and Buck comes to save him. That happens in the book too, although the Buck coming to save him, I don't think it's the same guy. Like it's a different character. In the book, there isn't really a bad guy. And I think maybe that's the difference and that's how they decided to change things for the movie version. Because the book showed a lot of cruelty, but it wasn't necessarily that they were cruel. So that rich guy who really just wanted to find his way in gold, he wasn't, in the book, he wasn't really rich. He was like wannabe rich. He had a wife with him and her brother. Is that true for the movie? That is true for the film, yeah. Okay. And he's not like really rich, but he's kind of like 
acting as if he's rich, but he needs to find gold or else he'll, he won't really have any. I'd agree with that. They do make him out to be wildly irresponsible. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And they do that too in the book, but in the book, he's less cruel and more idiotic. Now in the book, do you absolutely love the mail carrier? Peralt. You like him. You definitely like him. Um, and he's good to, he's like good and fair to Buck and the other animals. And he lets Buck become the alpha and the leader of the sled team. But I don't, I don't think that you really love him. You really only love the owner in the beginning and Jack slash John. There's nobody else in the film, even Harrison Ford, who you really like. You like as much. As a storyline of Peralt and and Buck. Even the the original owner is just kind of fed up with Buck. Like, he doesn't want him to go or anything. He loves him. But he's so spoiled and so running amok that he just kind of puts up with Buck. Does Buck get stolen from the original owner? Yes, he does. Okay, okay. So what's the story of Peralt? Like, tell me, tell me more about that. So Peralt is looking for a new dog. And he finds Buck and he buys Buck on a whim because they kind of, they have like a little moment together. And so he's like, you know what? You're strong. You're going to be a good dog. And he puts him on and he kind of laughs at him a little bit because he doesn't know how to sled dog at all. And he's like, no, you're going to get this. Don't worry. You're going to get this. And he's so nice to Buck. And then he treats him very fairly. He treats him like he treats all the other dogs. Then Buck starts to turn. He really starts to like being a sled dog. He does. He really does like it. He loves it. Like by the end, he really loves it. And he's a good dog. He loves all the, all the other animals and he's getting along so well with all the other dogs. And it's, and it's when his wife goes through the ice and Buck charges and dives into the ice. That you watch as Peralt is trying so hard to save his dog that it's like you really care. You really, really care. You can't do what they did without a CGI dog. I didn't think going in I would like that. You can't do it. It would be it would yeah, be no. harassment. It would be assault and abuse. I don't even know if you could stage this stuff with the dog. Okay, but wait, question back up for a second. Because you mentioned the wife going into the ice. Whose wife goes into the ice? Uh, Peralt's wife is traveling with them uh, on the mail carrier. And she is, she's native. And she doubts Buck from the beginning. Until Buck saves her life. And then they sort of also have a little bit of a turn. In the book, the ice incident is at the end of... Buck being part of the stupid man's sled team. Wow. Okay. So he saves the stupid man. No, not even. I mean, he refuses. So what happens is they're beyond exhausted. They've run out of food for the dogs. They can't feed them. They're, they're dying. Like dogs are dying one day, then another day, then another, because they're just so exhausted. They can't keep going. And now they have not even a full sled team. Finally, they get to this point where the guy wants to go across this river that's that's iced. 
But Jack Thornton is there and he's like, you guys can't cross the river. It's too much in the spring. And someone, you know, someone's going to die. The ice cannot hold yep, you. That happens in the book too, in the film too. Basically the, the stupid man says, no, we're going anyway. We're going to go. And he tries to get Buck to get up to go and lead the guys over the ice. But Buck knows that it's a fool's errand and basically a death wish. So he just doesn't get up. And the guy is beating him and beating him and beating him. But Buck doesn't care. Like he will die of a beating before he kills himself on that ice. So in the film at this point, Jack pulls a gun on him and says, don't you hit that dog. Exactly. And he basically says, fine, whatever. And then he leaves Buck. And they go off, and then, yeah, they fall through the ice. Yeah. The only thing is, is that Hal makes it back. Hal, who is played by Dan Stevens, who is the bad guy in the movie, he makes it back. Uh, And I believe his wife and his brother died. Okay. So, yeah, so Peralt, like, he, it's him and two men in the book. Wow, interesting. I I genuinely, at the beginning, was like, I wonder if I'm going to like this movie. And... I, I started really liking Buck very, very quickly. I was like, holy crap, this is dark when you see a shadow getting beat over the head with a, uh, by, by a man. And you're like, ooh, okay, this is the, he's going to get abused. And then he meets Pearl. And it's very, like, the first 30 minutes, I fell in love with the film. The film takes a very strange turn. When he goes off with Jack. In the book, he just, he goes from owner to owner to owner, and they're almost like little episodes. Yeah, and it it sort of feels like that, but then Jack, uh, or sorry, I guess in the film, John, Harrison Ford's character and Buck decide to take this adventure together because Buck comes home with him after the bar fight, and they they go on this this great little fun, nice adventure and find gold, and, and all of a sudden I'm like, well, where's this going? Like, this is... Like you had all this heartwarming stuff leading up to this. Where where are we going now? And that's when the wolves come in and you start to realize that Buck is learning more about his nature and the nature of all dogs, I suppose. And he starts running with the pack and and Harrison Ford's very much like, You're not my dog. You're not like my pet. Like you're you're your own dog. Go do your thing. Are we <laughs> is the dog just gonna leave him? Like, what's going to happen here? And uh, there's this roaming bear that happens all the time. And it ends different, way differently than I thought it would. And it, it how's the book at? Thornton is killed by natives. He, so he decides, him and his guys decide that they're going to go after this sort of like very dangerous gold wait a minute wait a minute apparently jack and his guy yeah it's not just jack there was like one or two guys with it him. is john by himself mourning the death of his son no yeah no no <laughs> you don't hear any there's nothing there's there you don't know anything about thornton because in the book it's not like first person narrative through the eyes of Buck, but it's all through the eyes of Buck. And the film is narrated by John as the story of Buck's life, but not Buck himself narrating. It's sort of like God telling the story of Buck's life in the book. Like, you know what Buck is feeling and thinking, but you do not know what the humans are really 
feeling and thinking except for what they say. And they're pretty good at saying it. But Thornton doesn't really get into Thornton's backstory. So towards the end of it, when Thornton goes off with his two men and they have a like a bunch of sled dogs and Buck is the head of it. What you mentioned in the movie about how he's like, yep, Buck, you're not my dog. You can go off and do your thing. Absolutely is also the case in the book. Okay. They head off to this sort of mythical like pot of gold that they've heard. This is a very dangerous trek. Most men never come back. And they don't actually get there because they don't know where there is. But along the way, they find a river where they can sift gold through the river. And like they're coming up with crazy amounts of gold, like insane amounts of gold. So they kind of stop there and they're getting kind of greedy and packing up more and more gold. Greedy. Okay. Yeah. I mean, I wouldn't say like greedy, like in the worst way. It's just in the book, it's very clear that they were traveling, traveling, traveling to get to this treasure. They don't get to the treasure They find this other treasure and then they just stay to get more and more of it because it keeps like the gold doesn't stop, essentially. Yeah. Jack finds a whole bunch of gold, but he's satisfied and is about to leave. And that's when Hal, Dan Stevens shows up and he's like, here, take the gold. Like, take. And then he still like shoots him and it's awful. I did get the impression in the book that they would have left. But at this point, you're really more into Buck's story. And Buck has been going, like, leaving the camp longer and longer stretches. Yep, that happens too. At first, it's, like, pretty short day trips. And then it's a couple of days. Then he sees this wolf that he, like, gets really excited to meet. And he starts to chase the wolf, like, a day and a night. And then suddenly he hears jack in the distance or remembers jack and is like i can't go any further with you wolf and the wolf is really upset about it yeah 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 they 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 did that in the film too the the wolf does look sad yeah and and the the wolf is sad and buck is sad but buck has made the choice you know thornton is his true owner and he loves Thornton more than the wild how do they represent the call they they say he hears the call they say that often the call to visualize the call is this large wolfish shadow in the film. And so he, mm. he sees the shadow or he hears a howl or, or sees something and, and that's the call. And it's, uh, it's kind of cool. Like, because then you start to grow used to the call. So there's a moment right before he, is fighting the sled dog where he's getting his ass handed to him. And then he sees the wolf. And I actually, like, Becky and I were watching and I was like, oh, this is going to get bad. And, like, immediately Buck just picks up this other dog and slams him into the ground. <laughs> and I'm like, yeah, man, like, that's the call. That's that's the call. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. So they, they have these interesting visual ideas that they were they were using to obviously represent what the book was saying he heard. At the end of the film, after John is dead, he goes and makes some crossbred puppies with the wolves. Yeah, he does, yeah. And now there's this new dog breed that's in the world that is big and strong, but also like 
following the call. Wolfish. Yeah. Uh, which, yeah, yeah. I, which I was kind of yeah. like, I was endeared by that a little bit. The film is is probably fluffier than the book. Also, I just, uh, I need to mention this because I, I just realized it. In my memory, it was Jack Thornton. You're right. It's John Thornton in the book and in the Oh in my the movie. gosh. Okay. I was just double checking. And I just, I just remembered it as Jack somehow. Um, but yes, yes, yeah. I mean, it does sound like these are pretty on point with each other. Yeah, I think that they made some clear changes in the movie to make it more theatrical. So they made a definite bad guy versus no bad guy, but the world is cruel in general. They introduced John Thornton. Sorry, everyone, for saying Jack for so long. Earlier, because in a movie that makes more sense than in a book where he could have come in later and it wasn't a problem. But I think the essence of it sounds pretty accurate. It sounds like they got the heart of the book and they put it into this movie. Yeah, they, they really did. And I, I'm, I'm giving the film three and a half stars. I didn't expect to like it as much as that. I When I first saw the trailer, I was really disappointed in the CGI dog. And after about 30 minutes, I was like, you could not make dogs do this. This You would go to jail. I understand, especially if after reading the book, that you could not put a real dog in these situations. We know that Disney can do this realistic animation. Why not use that that type? Uh, they, they give Buck a lot of personality and they want you to feel how he feels. So there's some f- really funny moments with, with John and, and Buck where... Buck's doing this eye thing and he's just like giving him this side eye and it, it's so funny and endearing. And I just think that if it looked more realistic, it might not have come off that way, it, but it might have. I don't know. I know it doesn't have the kind of budget that a Lion King does. I guess that's what I don't understand. I still just from watching the trailer, I haven't seen the movie, but I have seen that trailer. I cannot get over the type of animation that they chose for Buck because the book is a little bit bleak and stoic and harsh while i also cannot see live action animals doing anything and i don't think they should no animal should be making this movie i do think that the style of animation or cgi should be more in line with that disney look where it looks super realistic yeah i uh i haven't seen the lion king full disclosure the new one so I'm not sure if I would like the new animation style. Okay, but you have seen you have seen Jungle Book, and it's kind of like that. Yeah, that's honestly, what I'm thinking. That would have been fine. I think that would have been fine. If it's close to Jungle Book, then yeah, that would have been fine. Um, I don't think they had the talent, the same talent, and the same money and time going into this one because the 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 actors right. just felt like they were on set for. 20 days and moved on kind of thing. Like they, they didn't feel like even Harrison Ford probably only did four weeks tops uh, in front of a green screen, right? Like the whole thing is beautiful, but yeah. shot in front of green screen. So uh, maybe they just were more excited about the setting than giving all the attention to the dog, which is wrong because it's a dog story. It's a real harsh story. I can't wrap my head around this becoming a family film. It's not 
the book is not family oriented. It's definitely not G rated. I will say that it is a PG rated film. And and I mean, I guess the story's PG, but it's like harsh in the ways of rated R. Like there is a the lot cruelties of cruelties of the yeah. earth. Yeah. Yeah. Just feels so rated R. And the thing about the book is that you walk away being like the world is cruel to dogs and the world is cruel to you. Oh, nobody gets a free pass. Yeah, like everyone has hardships and some people have it worse than others. And you just hope that you like get the lucky throw of the dice. That's a good way to walk away from this film. So I I recommend watching the film. Do you recommend reading the book? Yeah, I do. If it was any longer than it is, it's only like a hundred and something pages. It's a novella. I would say no, but because it's pretty short, I highly recommend reading the book. Plus it's a classic. So yeah. So next week we thought we would try something completely left field and we were going to watch the, the horror, terrible looking film called corona zombies what i think is really cool about this is it's about literally covid19 they made this movie since the pandemic happened yeah i mean it's it's very tongue-in-cheek and stupid and based on the trailer so i'm i'm excited to try something else new we normally watch films that are you know three stars and higher with the exception of miss bala this is going to be probably in that lower schlocky feel. I would be surprised if this movie gets more than one and a half stars. Could be so bad it's good and it gets five. <laughs> and that's the show. Thanks for listening and be sure to tune in again next time. If you want to help support the show, you can hop onto a podcast service and subscribe. And if you're feeling super generous, just give us a quick rating or review. Our intro song comes from bensound.com. And we encourage you to check out our show notes for more information about our music, our talented voice actors, and sound effects. Jay and I love to hear from you, and we actually built a whole website where you can find us, morethanmovies.net. And in case you hate websites, you can always email us at hello at morethanmovies.net. Or find us at Facebook, More Than Movies Podcast. Catch either one of us on Twitter. I'm at Jester J. I'm at It's Ivana. Thanks again for spending some time with us, and we'll be back again real soon with an all-new commercial-free episode. Until next time, friends. Do more. And watch more.